When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And welcome to a what a night. We've got a great lineup for you today off the back of and have a really, really good result. We'll get into the performance, let's not worry about that for now. But another three points on the board for Spurs. Dan Kilpatrick's back with us, Hunter Godson, I'm Ben Haynes, and we're joined today by I'm gonna this is a masterstroke of a signing from Hunter. <laughs> this would be like the equivalent of going into your fantasy football. And seeing who you can bring in and seeing someone with that star next to their name, which essentially means like one of the top performers. Ali Tweedale from The Coach's Voice, thank you so much for, for coming on the pod. Wow, what an introduction. Um, You've I'm, got... I'm, I'm touched then, thank you. The problem is now, mate, is that forever people are going to ask if you live up, lived up to your price tag. It's going to be hanging over you. Yeah, well, I might need a bit of time to bed in, so uh, give, give me a chance. <laughs> get, up, get up to the tempo of the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's fair. Don't worry, we'll put an arm around your shoulder. Um, let, me, let me sort of break this one down of how we're going to do it today. We'll react to the game first from the other day and just go first thoughts, and then we're going to break down the good, the bad, the ugly and the beautiful from that game. And then look a little bit further ahead to two weeks' time um, and maybe t- touch a tiny bit on the international break. But, Dan, I'll let you take first dibs. Do you feel like you predicted that game down to a T? Yeah, I mean, at the danger of repeating myself, I just feel exactly the same way about that game as I did about the Burnley and Brighton game. (laughs) And if people are listening for the first time, my view is, in a nutshell, that it's a bad approach, but it's working. So I feel like I can't keep saying, this is a bad approach, stop doing it. Um, so I've slightly changed tack in today's paper, actually. I've written a piece for the Standard Day saying it is an approach that will probably come unstuck at some point. Like I think Spurs' luck will run out if they keep playing cautiously against lesser sides. But I also think it's quite good preparation for what's to come after the international break. So we know the way Mourinho is going to play against kind of Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Leicester. Well, we know potentially how he's going to play in every game now, but he'll definitely play that way against those teams. Mm. Um, So to to have kind of done this live in-game training of the defence in the last three matches and and to have set up in this kind of cautious sort of counter-attacking, let's nick a goal and then hold out type way should serve the team quite well for, for what's to come, I think. But, you know, I'd prefer to see... Spurs more on the front foot in, in this kind of match as they were in the kind of West Ham and Newcastle games, which I think have, have slightly kind of scarred Mourinho and he's <laughs> gone back to basics a little bit. But as I said, I've said that on the last two pods and I, I just feel broadly the same way. <laughs> it's, it's not particularly good for the heart rate, is it, Hunter? Oh, no. Yesterday, yesterday especially felt very... Uh, it seemed to happen a lot in the sort of first couple of years of Poch's reign, where we'd we'd win late on, and a lot of people spoke about the running and and how Spurs went to the end. But it's not really that at the moment. It feels like it it more comes down to a moment of we have world class players and y- y- you don't essentially. Um, the the game yesterday was, I mean, just from an enjoyment perspective, horrible. Uh, I don't. I don't think many Spurs fans will say they they truly enjoyed it. I think the only thing that they can they will say is that you know it's West Brom and it's Burnley, and we've come away from those games with six points where in the past we've we've faltered. Um, and yeah, as Dan said, you you can't be too, you can't be too harsh on the fact that Mourinho's changed it, but it it doesn't make for for great viewing. Ali, what was your take, mate? How did you feel off the back of that one? 
Yeah, it was uh, it was unenjoyable, wasn't it? It was uh, it, it wasn't fun to watch. Um, but going back to what Dan said, it's the the results have vindicated Mourinho. So um, it's kind of like when Mourinho was appointed, everyone said this is horrible. But if we win, it's kind of okay. Uh, I mean, some people might disagree, might want sort of like barnstorming Pochettino football. But if we're winning every game one nil. And that's, that's what Mourinho's here for. It's kind of like, well, you can't really fault him for it. Um, what I would say also is both the West Brom and Brighton games, I think they've, they've definitely been games that Tottenham have deserved to win. They've not really given away that many chances. And they were, although they didn't actually come to much because they were blocked, there was the Son chance uh, mm. yesterday and a couple of Kane ones that you'd expect him to do better from. Um, so I, d I do think that yeah, it was it was ugly and it was boring and it was stressful, uh, but they they're doing what they what's asked of them. Yeah, that was definitely the overriding emotion for me was just stress. Like the <laughs> entire thing was stress. There wasn't. I sat there, and my position moved from leaning back on the sofa to getting progressively closer and closer and closer to the screen mm. to the point where when we scored, I think I was standing up. You just. <laughs> ridiculous but oh. it's kind of where we're at at the moment I suppose the one do you know what I'm, uh, we'll come and talk about this in the good section but one of the things at the moment that we're seeing is that you do still feel like there's a goal in it as long as we're not not conceding so let's let's roll through the good bits um, and like we're better to start than that how did you guys feel when we were at nil nil because this really interests me I no longer feel in those games like I did maybe four or five months ago, if it's nil-nil, that we're going to be the guys that are going to like get one nicked against us. I kind of have this feeling like we might go and just shithouse our way to a, to a one-nil, which can only be a good thing, right, Hunter? Yeah, I think, I think Mourinho's done well to sort of create that atmosphere within the squad. I think I think the signings of players like Hoybier have allowed us to sort of relax on maybe the fragilities of last season um you wouldn't you wouldn't feel like that even even in the games where Mourinho had set up to put out that you just had no belief um i think that Alderweireld's upturn in form is a is a massive part of that i think without him without his service from the back especially we'd i think we'd be in a lot more trouble but i know what you mean and i think that i think that has to be given to Mourinho because 2 years ago even it it, it didn't feel like that so yeah, I think I think that's one of the things you have to you have to give to Mourinho, basically. I think that uh, on that Alderweireld point, you've got now I, what I love about no fans, and I, I like watching without the fake noise because watching Tottenham at the moment, you, there are so many voices, and at the back you've got Lloris barking orders, Alderweireld barking orders, Dyer and Hoiberg. Hoiberg's just come in and he's just ordering everyone around, and that that base of the team is really really strong. Yes, yeah, it's, it's certainly interesting watching Hoybier doing the marshalling piece as well. And these games, like if they suit anyone on the pitch, I'd say arguably they suit him better than any other player. It's almost like even when he's not got a cut on his head, he's playing with a bandage around his head sort of thing. <laughs> Just flying into challenges, winning big 50-50s, doing the simple stuff well and then ready to celebrate off the back of what was a, a, a really grubby goal mm. um, but a gorgeous one all the same what about you Dan were there any bits of this that you particularly enjoyed I think Dyer was very good noticeably good like, it was one of those games where kind of by virtue of, of where I was sitting in the first half my seat was kind of level with the Spurs defensive line so I just ended up keeping an eye on Dyer in particular and he just looked really assured he didn't really put a foot wrong in the first half I can't really speak as closely for a second because you know your, your head's in your computer a bit more and he was up the other end but even just simple things like sort of you know meeting a cushioning a header into Hoiberg's feet and obviously he made a couple of crucial interventions as well I just think he looked he looked quite assured back there um, which is which is a good thing for Spurs and for England because there's kind of a vacancy in both teams I think for a consistent centre half um, and he hasn't always convinced me since moving back there obviously Mourinho and Southgate kind of have a fair amount of faith in him to be a centre half I haven't always felt like I agree with them but I think in the last few games he's started to look better and better and 
he said uh, at the England camp in September, that weird pre-season camp, that actually for him the the hardest thing is is not playing consistently. Mm. Whereas playing sort of three games in a week, he finds he builds up a rhythm, and I think we're starting to see some of that in him now. So it probably wouldn't be the worst thing if he if he played a couple of the England games in the next couple of weeks. Although I think obviously the the big test for him will be when he's up against you know City and and Aubameyang and, and Liverpool's front three and and, and Vardy, um, you know before the end of the year. That's when we'll really find out what what him and Alderweireld are made of. But I think there are encouraging signs there, given how long it took Mourinho to kind of get a handle on the defence. It, it's starting to to look a lot better now. Mm. I I wanted to say that the whole defence I thought had a fantastic game. Uh, and I know that I gave Dotti a bit of a time recently, saying that I thought he, he he maybe looked a little bit stuck between whether to stick or twist, and he's not used to playing in a back four. Um, but I thought yesterday was his best game in a Spurs shirt so far, and I think he's starting to learn the sort of well. Yesterday showed he is starting to learn the sort of what you can what you can give away in terms of attacking and what you have to do defensively, and everything he does defensively, I have to say, it was really sound yesterday. And there, there's a lot of balls towards the back post that he dealt with really well he got stood up a couple of times and I think he dealt with them really well and and you know he 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 can't bomb on like he did for Wolves because we, we don't play a three at the back it's as simple as that so he's he's learning he's growing into it and I, I know it gave him a bit of <laughs> gave him a bit of jip last couple of games so this is this is him answering me the, I know he's well you're, you're on record saying he can't ever play in a four it's, it's on record now <laughs> is it on record forever <laughs> He's yeah, a fraud. It's, it's with, bring back that pod. Bring back Aurea. <laughs> yeah, I'm editor here, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other thing is, Hunter, is that I, I I don't know whether you guys found this, but you know when that, that you had those periods of West Brom pressure, I didn't have the panic with him that he was just going to nibble at someone's feet when they were in the box and go down. And at the moment, the amount of penalties that we're seeing from just tiny little touches that are enough to send people to the floor, you've got to be so careful... I just trust him a lot more. I just trust him in that that position um, a lot more than than perhaps other options that are available in that. Say area. his name. Um, <laughs> 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 I, I, the other, I do want to uh, single out Hugo Lloris as well in in the good bits because I know we're talking about the whole defensive unit, but I have to say I think he's somewhere near the form that he was showing when he was at his best for for Spurs, and that's probably because of the style of play, and it's probably because he's not in a position where he can make really really rash crazy decisions um, because defence is sitting a little bit deeper and that kind of leads me on to the, the next point which is what you said Dan which is the fact that maybe this means that we're in a really really good position going into a very difficult run where the style of play doesn't have to change too much you'd imagine he'd probably set up like that wouldn't he for the next sort of three or four games maybe yeah I think so and I think I'd have loved it if Spurs had continued playing the way they were playing against West Ham and Newcastle, which was a bit more front foot. But had they, let's say they're taken nine points from the last three games, but they've been kind of three twos, and then you go into this run, the other side of the international break, the, the defence wouldn't be full of much confidence, would it, facing those teams? So I think there's definitely something to be said that this kind of platform and, and base has been built on which Spurs can can now build and, and hopefully kind of rediscover some of that attacking flair and momentum because you know this team should play to their strengths and it's even though I've just praised the defence and I think they were good yesterday and they have been decent the last three games it's clear that this is a top heavy squad and, and most of the quality is in the final third mm. and ultimately it, it would be nice if if we saw Spurs play to that a bit more um, but but now this, this basis is in place that's an encouraging thing I think was yesterday the first time that he's really acknowledged the West Ham game in, in in the sense that he sort of said fairly clearly about a change? Yeah, he did. Afterwards, he said we played in a different way since, which was the the first time he's kind of acknowledged that. And Kane said something similar afterwards to the broadcasters along the lines of, you know, we haven't played as well uh, in the last three games, but we, we had to tighten up and get the points. So it, it's clearly a thing. I mean, it's... The team selection at Burnley made it very obvious that it was going to be a slightly different approach, and then you know, the tactics in the last two games have been noticeably um, contrasting from from before that. But I also think 
you know, any decent manager worth their salt, you know, Slaven Bilic would have just looked at the Southampton game. I mean, any Premier League manager would have looked at that game and been like, right, let's definitely not play a high line against Kane's son. Let's make sure Kane can't turn in the centre and, and sort of ping those passes out to the right. Um, it was it was weird to me that kind of West Ham in the first minute, you know, let um, Kane pick up the ball in deep and then Son run beyond him. That was just the one thing I think anyone could have looked at Spurs and said, don't let them do that. Yeah. So uh, definitely a part of it is just decent managers doing their homework on, on where Spurs are strong. Mm-hmm. And it's to Mourinho and the side's credit that they've eventually found a way through that. But it, it has been um, through different means, I think. And, and there is, it's, a, it's also positive now that Tottenham have done it both ways because whoever now approaches playing Tottenham, they say, well, we can't play a high line because it's suicide. And, if we, if, and when Tottenham drop back, um, they're actually fairly solid. Mm. Um, I mean, <laughs> could, could, could be speaking way too soon with that, but they, do, they, have looked quite, they have looked quite solid. And that West Ham the capitulation might be a bit of a wake-up call. Everyone, I think, looks a bit more switched on uh, individually. Um, I think that dire clearance off the line and there was a regular one, um, which yeah. was far less spectacular late on. Um, it just kind of hints at a team that are all kind of a bit more alert to danger. And it, I always think back to that Sheffield United defeat at Bramall Lane at the end of last season, which I think might be my least favourite ever Tottenham game. Um, and the goal that Lise Mousse scored, where um, someone got tur- uh, Sanchez got turned in the six-yard box. Uh, and there was a ball across the six-yard box, and Dyer just had no idea that Lise Mose was stood right behind him, and uh, tapped into an empty net. And it just—it doesn't, at the moment, look like Spurs are going to do something like that. Yeah, I think that was uh, that was probably one of the bits that impressed me the most about Eric Dyer was that that level of concentration. Even you could see as that ball was about to be drifted towards the back post, he maybe had four or five glances behind him, which was something that was just completely missing in action uh, when we were in the, the Sheffield United game. And that was I'm amazed that you said that was your that was your least favourite one. Because I think Hunter and I would probably both go on record um, as saying uh, that Brighton would have been the uh, the one that I found the toughest to take, which was the when when we got into that that awful, awful position of like it just looking like we're on a slow trudge towards the end. I think um, I think it might on. be because I think it might be because I I mean Brighton wasn't good. Brighton felt like it was it, we were already going somewhere bad, and Sheffield United <laughs> felt like felt like there might have been some hope, mm. and then that was just mm. completely taken away. Yeah. But you know what? That's not a competition that we need to be talking. About. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm over, to be honest. I'm I'm really kind of like. I've really managed to re-engage my mindset and um, and learn to look at these games for the results that they are. Like there, I I will probably never talk about the game against West Brom, the game against Burnley, or the game against Brighton, mm. other than the fact that Harry Kane got his 150th Premier League goal, Gareth Bale got his his first goal for Spurs in the Premier League at a really key time and the fact that Harry Kane and Son's partnership carried on against Burnley other than that there is nothing remarkable about those games <laughs> nine, nine, nine points in the bag and you, you take them and move on um, yeah. let's, do the, let's do the bad bits Was I'm probably going to save Ndombele getting injured for the ugly because he is on this podcast Ali I don't know if you've heard before but basically this podcast usually is owed to Ndombele um, rightly uh, so is he injured? <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to cut in there. Is he injured? Okay, he's coming in the bad. Let's do it. Dan, <laughs> can you run us through? Yeah, he did. He did go down, and it looked like he was in quite a lot of pain. But then he, he, I say he ran, ran on, as in con- continued running for a couple more minutes, and and the Celso was already getting warmed up. So I, I'm not sure it was anything too serious. Do you know what I was like thinking? He, when like that he certainly looked, looked like he was struggling, but mm. I think the Celso was would would have been replacing him anyway. Seemingly, because Mourinho doesn't want to play both of them at once at the moment. Mm. Well, uh, yeah, all I was thinking was, I thought we got rid of metatarsals because there was a time <laughs> there was a time in between about 2000 and 2010 when everyone seemed to be breaking them, and we've somehow we've made football boots flimsier 
but everyone's feet seem to be not getting broken anymore. So maybe centre-backs are becoming lighter or feet are becoming stronger. That's the sort of take. But uh, I, I was kind of disappointed with that because I thought Undombele, and I should have brought this up in the good, to be fair, I thought he sort of was was having a, a quietly quite a good game in, in what was uh, quite scrappy. No one was really holding on to the ball particularly well. And he was a sort of creative spark that was managing to find a yard of space, find the pass. Um, that that ball for Son's very... I don't know what happened to Son there. It's one of those things where if he seems to take two or three touches, he, he, sort, of, he sort of goes off the boil. But... Um, yeah, so it was a shame to see him come off, but I thought he had a I thought he had a good game. And it, uh, the other thing is, I think it's a shame that we haven't been able to see them. Uh, and I say, Lo Celso and Undombele play together yet in in a starting eleven. Do you reckon that works, Hunter? I think with what Hoybier is doing and what uh, I actually think that um, we'd be better served dropping Undombele a bit deeper. I don't. I'd, I'd like to see him as an eight, picking the ball up a bit deep, a bit deeper, and sort of trying to work. Well, because and I think. It, what they were doing, what West Brom were doing, you were seeing exactly that. You were seeing Gallagher and I forgot what the other guy's name is. The other West Brom eight, basically picking the ball up and doing a lot more deeper. Whereas, whereas in the ten position, you've just swarmed, you swarmed, you swamped. And I, um, I, I think I'd like to see Hoybier and Dombele as the as the two with Lacelso in there because I think that's got enough legs in it as a as a midfield. Um, you know, time will tell. I agree completely. Yeah, I just don't think Mourinho trusts Ndombele to do that mm. at the moment. I, mm. I think he, he will be that player eventually. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, It's a shame because he, he feels like he's got all those Dembele-ish kind of press-resistant qualities and he could just wriggle his way out of so many tight holes. And it, it would be a antidote to all the long passing as well if he oh. was there to get the ball to feet and then kind of bring it up the pitch. But yeah, I agree with Ali. It doesn't look like Mourinho a trust him to do that, and and b trust Lacelso and Ndombele, given their sort of various fitness problems to to start games together. Mm. Am I being horrendously critical here if I include Sonny's form over the last couple of games in the bad? I'm not going to say that his performances were bad. I just think he looks a little bit leggy. I think he looks like he's played a stupid amount of football over the course of the last six weeks and you're starting to see in his decision making and his touch and everything that everything's taking him just a millisecond too long I don't think you're being harsh uh, you know I, I think you take every game as it comes and you have to be you have to be honest with how people are playing and yesterday and and actually against Brighton I remember I messaged you and said is Son, how's Son looking? Because obviously, again, when it's on TV, it's quite hard to tell if if he's making those runs off the ball, if he's doing this, that, and the other. And you said, no, he, he looks tired. He looks like he needs he needs a little bit of time off the pitch, basically. And yesterday, that's what I, I mean. He gets the one clearest chance that we created, which I have to say, at the time, I I thought, God, is this is this how we're going to play today? Because I'm fine with that. The ball down the wing from um, Bale to Kane, who finds a lovely ball to Ndombele, who just has that awareness to sort of take it and move it on. And then you put your house on Son, just putting it on his left or his right and finishing it. But that two, three, two, four touches, I think, in the end. And that that that's that Son that we're used to seeing when he's a little bit rusty. And then, and then in the last 20 minutes of the game... The ball went out to him six, seven times, and he, he was getting it caught under his feet. He wasn't trying to take on the the fullback. He was just sort of standing with it, and you you know it's understandable. But yes, he's set a really high standard for himself now, and you know it's going to be noticeable when he drops off slightly. He's always been a bit of a player that's scored in streaks or gone it got come into form, and not not it's not been a Harry Kane that's done it over a whole season ever really, um, and I kind of think if he's because he started the season in such extraordinary form everyone started to think oh well this is just what he is now um so it's kind of fair fair for him to have a, a few game drop off we'll allow he's it. Also used, <laughs> he really used to be in his first couple of seasons he always used to score like the worldies when he had no time and always missed the kind of one-on-ones or or chances where he had a bit more time to think about it and yesterday that chance was kind of a return to that. He just had way too much time, way too many options, and he fluffed it in the end. You do, you do get that impression, don't you? You're just desperate for him to be instinctive. 
You know, mm. when he's when he's running through on goal and he has like one touch to get it out of his feet and then one touch to hit it, he always feel a lot more comfortable than when he's sort of like dancing around and trying to do everything. So when you watched it back as well, you're thinking with every single touch that he took, <laughs> another defender seemed to come in okay. into shot and they're just converging on the goal. So by the time that he by the time he hit it it was a bloody wall in front of him yeah it's um, quite it's quite but that's a good example of the premier league in a way isn't it like you you have one touch maybe two touches and then like you said the d- defenders will be there and so that's the sharpness that you have to have and it can you know it can turn very quickly for you i still even when there was five defenders in the goal i was like yeah I'd just slot this but it wasn't to be i'm going to be criminally harsh as well on giovanni de celso i know he just come onto the pitch but oh, I'm sure Mourinho is raging with that. You, you just can't. Like, unfortunately, in those games, you can't miss. You can't pass up opportunities like that. Six yards. Like it, I know it came in quickly, but I've got a theory with him. I think he's got a bit of a curly toe. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah, I think he. In order to hit the ball sweetly, I think he has to open his body out and actually hit it on the whip. I don't think he can just lace it like a De Bruyne, for example. Mm. He he also maybe should have gone with his right foot. And he oh, just, he hasn't he, got that. He doesn't, he? <laughs> he doesn't even control the ball with his right foot. He does nothing with it. Yeah. He's one of those players. Um, so yeah, I mean that that is really harsh. Ben, I've got. It's enormously. The problem is the reason why I've been backed into this corner and forced down this alley is because if this is the way that we're going to play, it might be that we get one chance. It it might be, and you just get. We sometimes we're going to get really, really fortunate, and I'd say more often than not, we're going to get fortunate, and that that chance is going to fall to Harry Kane, <laughs> or that chance is going to fall to Sonny. Was, or was that ben. chance quite? kind of last minute against Liverpool last season oh. and when he had that one to yeah. get the draw yeah that was yeah, he, maybe, and it went so we far wide talk about Gio. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean you, you, before the game you'd have, you know, you'd have taken that chance to, to snatch a point in that game mm. but he really fluffed it I mean there, there is a slight kind of thing about him not scoring in the league isn't there I know the Everton one was taken off him the the one where he, oh, was he went down as an own goal. Ah. So, so I think he still doesn't have a Premier League goal yet, um, which is quite surprising given how he was like the only good thing about the team yeah. for about five <laughs> months last year. That's part of the reason that I'm so surprised that Deli Ali has just been sort of taken out of the reckoning completely because Tottenham now don't really have a midfielder who scores goals. Mm. Um, if you're counting mm. Son, Bale, Lucas, Bergvine and... Kane as forwards, mm. uh, then there there isn't really a midfielder who's who scores goals, and that's I mean Mourinho generally, I mean anyone likes a midfielder who scores goals, but there you can think of quite a few Mourinho midfielders who score score lots of goals, mm. particularly with that interside. Yeah, you know, people like Schneider, for example, burst in that midfield, and mm. you would have you you back him in those situations. I think there's probably. Um, you probably opened the door to being very critical of him here, but I do like I, I do think if we're dreaming of the uh, Hoybier and Dombele and Lacelso three, one of them has got to be the one that's going to get forward and score goals. And I think I think uh, has got a he's got a little bit of an issue there as well in that you never feel really really ruthlessly confident that he's going to just lace one into the corner much as I thought that was going to be the case off the back of a start versus Aston Villa <laughs> yeah he's replacing Dembele and Dembele will if you ask any fan any Tottenham fan they'll be like the problem with Dembele is he didn't score enough goals he had a wonder he had an absolute thunderbolt of a left foot and he just never used it or at least he never got into positions to use it but you know he does lots of other things so we'll, we'll let him off um, okay, I just I'll, sorry. I just go, wanted go, go, go. to say uh, I don't I don't think it's ugly. I'm just going to say in the in the in the bad. I just wanted to put Gareth, Gareth Bale's sort of underwhelming performance. Um, okay, I, I think if it wasn't Gareth Bale, he'd be getting a much harsher treatment again. I have to say, uh, I didn't think it was terrible. I just you know, I, d- I didn't think I didn't think it worked particularly well. Okay, so what was the um what were the kind of reasons behind that? Because I, I think one of the things that I enjoyed about his performance is that where we criticised him a little bit last week for maybe not looking that up for it in the Europa League, I definitely think he did the work going back the other way. Putting in tackles and actually being defensively quite stable, I thought it was quite good. And I was wondering whether it's either a, a question of he just 
was lacking quality going forward um, and he's maybe not sharp enough or whether the team just didn't play in a way that allowed any of our front three to excel. I think it's the latter of those um, and I just don't think it was um, I don't think it was very clear from how we were playing where Bale was going to get a chance. There were a few times when we broke and it was clearly that was where Son was going to uh, going to be the main man um, but it, it, I, don't, I, I can't think of a shot Bale had um, and I, I don't think it was particularly clear what what the setup was to get the best out of Bale. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right to be honest, Ali. I think I think it was more to do with the the setup, but um, so maybe maybe I'm being critical, maybe I'm being overcritical, maybe I'm being critical of Mourinho, or maybe it's what Dan said and that he doesn't. You know, I don't enjoy watching us set up to be defensive against a West Brom team when I think that Kane, Son, and Bale should be able to do enough to to create more chances than than what we saw. Um, I can't. He was he was good defensively. He he did. He clearly did his job, and I think Mourinho was clearly clearly happy with what he did. But for me, we're still not seeing what we what we'd hoped to see. What, what I've, I've definitely heard got is a psychological that... problem whereby I cannot stop thinking of 2013 Bale whenever I see him <laughs> on the team sheet. I'm like, right, he's going to tear them apart. And Mourinho's been very clear yeah. for people like me that he's a different player. Uh, and I think we've all got to got to accept that. But there is there are kind of the occasional glimpse where he's tried to kind of knock it round an opponent and, and run round the other side in the last few games, and it hasn't worked. Which makes me think maybe he's just getting back to speed and he will be into Milan Bale for forevermore. But um, I, I think we've got to accept that he's his son is you know, even when Bale's as fit as he can possibly be, Son is still going to be the, the more kind of explosive counter attacking force. I think and, and Bale might be a a slightly different type of player in, in the front three. The, I, I think there is a happy medium here and I think there's a middle ground. And the reason why we're people feel a little bit underwhelmed with Gareth Bale is because we haven't seen him at any point move a ball a yard out of his feet and just crack a shot at goal yet. Mm. Like we haven't seen that in, in maybe five games. Um, and we've seen the nice bits of intricate passing and we've seen him working back the other way and we've seen him sort of like drop into nice pockets. Where I, I don't mind if he doesn't run past five players, but we watched that training video at the beginning and he still clearly can hit a ball beautifully. Mm. And so that's where I'm going to move on to the ugly because there was one bit of the game where I was seething. <laughs> I've just remembered. Seething. <laughs> Harry Kane is not good at free kicks. <laughs> Gareth Bale is phenomenal at free kicks. If we get a free kick on the edge of the uh, edge of the the box, I love Harry Kane for his attitude and for wanting to score all the time and for being basically just the best guy in the world. <laughs> but in that situation, move off that one. Let Gareth Bale take that free kick. Yeah. Why is why is Kane so bad at free kicks? It doesn't make any sense. He's awful at them. Yeah, it's a weird. It's a weird. Mm. He clearly works on them a lot on the training ground, right? And if, I imagine he scores over and over on the training training ground. But as you said, Ben, Gareth Bale scored them at, at every level of football uh, consistently throughout his career. Whereas Harry Kane, the only one I can remember is that one against Villa, where it took a massive <laughs> deflection many, did, many, did many you? moons ago. I, I mean, he's not scored it. one since, and he, he must have taken quite a few. I'd be interested to know how many no. he's taken since then. It became a joke at, the, at that Euros, him? didn't no. it? No. No, Dyer he hasn't. Has. Eric Dyer has, yeah. Um, I would kind of back Dyer over Kane. So I would I. I hit the bar last season from one yeah. as well. Yeah. So would I. Uh, yeah, he, he's not. It's one kind of weak, almost blind spot, really. That he insists on taking them. He pulled rank. I, it was crazy. Can I, can I chuck a theory out here? And mm. what is really, really pissing me off about this? <laughs> Does anyone remember? There was a feature on, on on Super Sunday about three years ago where Thierry Henry went to go and meet Harry Kane. Yeah, I remember it. Do anyone remember this? Yeah, yeah. And he, as part of the feature, Henri said to him, why do you let Christian Eriksen move you off free kicks? Why is your hunger not oh, there? I do! <laughs> like, why is your hunger not there? Yeah. He's taking every single free kick. And it's almost like Harry internalised that and he's like, 
no, he's right. I need to score all the time. And yeah. where we've where we've like backed him and and really said like it's been amazing watching this season how how he's not needed to be on the the finishing end of everything and been able to bring others into play. That for me was just a little bit of a hangover. I was really I I found that really difficult to watch because I just text three or four people being like. Wow, what a joy to know that we've got a free kick specialist in the side. And if they give away a free kick on the edge of the box, you sort of back bail to put us at least in a good position. Is, is this the, again, same, the same Thierry Henry who uh, wouldn't take penalties if he'd won uh, out of superstition? Why, why, didn't, why didn't he have the desire and the, the willing? Oh, it's all talk, isn't it? Penalty? The very, <laughs> the very same Thierry Henry who Harry Kane is about to surpass. Yeah, that was inf- infuriating yesterday, Hainsey. I have to say, I, I was just like this. Because I got very excited winning that free kick. And that's the difference with having Bale in your side, right? Is you do instantly go, ooh, we've got someone with that funny technique where they can open up their foot and really get it to dip. And it's great to watch and horrible for keepers. And also, we've watched Bale do it several times for Tottenham. Uh, and for Real Madrid. And just to play devil's game. advocate here, because I, I haven't followed Bale closely in, in Spain. I mean, he he must have had few opportunities because of Ronaldo. So has he scored one in the last few years? Probably you know, not. Genuine in, in, question. Yeah, actually, no, he has, but not as many as he should have done. The thing, when he first arrived to Real Madrid, there was this real power struggle, I'm sure everyone remembers this, of, of like the kind of egos of the two of them, yeah. who was going to be the, the leading guy, and obviously Ronaldo won out. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the beginning, Bale used to move Ronaldo off free kicks. Bale would be like, no, I'm taking this one. And he scored a load. He, scored he definitely scored quite a few, yeah. And and also, Euro, yeah. 2016. <laughs> I was going to say, that's more Joe Hart's. Joe Hart's one to remember, I think, than anyone's. <laughs> good, good it was a good strike. It wasn't one a great save. Harry Kane. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. Was that the same? That was the same Euros where Harry Kane was on free kick and corner duty or something, wasn't yeah. it? Ridiculous. It, it was a, like it. I mean, I'm really again. I'm being overly critical and I'm over egging it. But the reason why it, it was so frustrating is because we had had. Uh, an incident where I think Ndombele had done this gorgeous little flick on the edge of the box and someone had smashed through him. Oh, I was and fuming about that one because my, yeah. my co-commentator on MS and NBC, uh, as I also obviously had the PPV £15 game up as well. I just wanted a different commentary. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> um, he was obsessed with this not being a foul. And I couldn't find out. He must have been an ex-West Brom player or, or something because he kept, he kept basically saying that Spurs players were diving and West Brom players were absolutely right. In, he was slagging in Spurs. Get, he really did not love... <laughs> anyway, um, he was saying it wasn't a foul and I watched it like six or seven times and I was like, that is just all day a foul. And the ref, the refs... Uh, I mean, it was just bad refereeing, but yeah, I was fuming a little bit. Um, has anyone got any bits of the game that they took particular joy in in our beautiful section? Or any bits they were like, oh, that is so good. I think the dire clearance definitely deserves a mention, doesn't it? That that that's a moment where in the past, yeah, Eric Dyer has been accused of switching off at key moments, and that was a moment where he was he was properly on it, and you know, it was an amazing header as well. He managed to get right under it and sort of nod it away, um, where he could, you know, you could easily get your feet wrong in those situations. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely, his performance as a whole was was. Um, I've given him a lot of stick. I don't, I don't think he's the best defender um, for Spurs in that position. But I think, I think he he's definitely had a good moment there. I don't think it merits kind of being in in the beautiful section, but I think it was significant that Vinicius came on and was kind of behind Kane for the goal. Mm. Um, it just shows what having another striker actual striker on the bench can do and it it obviously gave West Brom something else to think about and then it was telling that they they were kind of both in the box at the end there um, and I think that's that's obviously something the Spurs haven't really had consistently in the past obviously Lorente offered it for a bit but, but clearly didn't have last season so it was good to see him come on the league and, and get a couple of shots off and then just be in the kind of right place albeit just behind Kane for the, for the crucial moment. It was Kane, a very good Kane's save, wasn't finished. it? Sorry? It was a very good save, wasn't it, from his shot as well? It's Sorry, good. go on. Kane's finish, go on. Um, Kane's finish, I think there was a, quite a lot of good fortune about it. Mm. Um, bad goalkeeping, the ball into the box was a bit of a 
90th minute, let's just get it in there kind of ball. Hail Mary. Mm. But, yeah, exactly. But you, I think the kind of goal scorer Kane is, I th- he, he knows what he's doing there. Um, I think it's a really, really, really like smart finish, really clever thing, mm. clever thing to do. He, he mm. knew the goalie was coming out. And if, if he thought the goalie wasn't coming out, he wouldn't have gone for it. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. That's that's the sort of goal that, that Spurs need to be able to score, I think. And, and you're right, Dan. And I think we mentioned it last week when Vinicius wasn't on the bench. I was, I was annoyed because I feel like just having two players in the area, just it just gives the defenders more to think about. And it gives the, it, it, you know, having more players around the goalkeeper panics the goalkeeper. It's, all of those things come into play when, when I forgot what the keeper's name is. He decides to take those three steps out. Uh, all, yeah, all, all of any, you know, he'd had a good game. He'd made a great save a minute ago. Um, a minute before and then yeah out of nowhere sort of makes a, a split decision that just goes wrong for him and and I think you're right Ali I think it's a very smart finish from Kane if not you know a brilliant brilliant goal it was just I nice to see, when when uh, nil 0 it was nice to see a striker coming off the bench wasn't it it was just a nice feeling being like oh okay we're going for this hmm. yeah definitely if- I'd, I'd also like to say on a day where there wasn't that much of beauty to talk about uh the kit. I, <laughs> Definitely. I, am, I, am, I, I think yellow kits are the most consistent kits out there. Um, <laughs> I know this is the kind of exactly the kind of analysis you invited me on this podcast for. <laughs> but that, 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 kit, that kit is really, really, really great. And it's, it's a shame we don't have more yellow kits. I, I, think I've got, I think I've got all of them and I'd like more. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think, and Ben, did you get sent that one? Yeah, yeah, Nike sent me the full kit, and I'm still. Next time Spurs playing it, I'm going to get dressed up in the full kit, socks and shorts as well, and sit and watch oh, the yeah. game. <laughs> Got the socks and the shorts sitting there. Mm. I'm going to get the shinies on and everything. Yeah. <laughs> one, one last thing I wanted to add. I, th- I think we sort of breezed through the ugly quite quickly today, but I just wanted to. We, I just wanted to say Sissoko's role in this Ooh, in, okay. the, in this team, uh, and I think I think plenty of people made the point yesterday. That he's not a particularly good ball carrier. He's not a particularly good passer. He didn't have to do too much defensive work. And so you sort of sit there going, he's just on the pitch for the legs that he provides on, on counterattacks for the opposition. And, and the question has to be, is that enough for a player to start in this current Tottenham setup? Um, I know we've spoken about Lacelso, but coming in and Dumbele dropping in there, but even even a different player like a, like a Winks or someone else being in there, or you know Deli Ali, I just think that would give us give us more. And I understand Mourinho. Like, I think that's probably the change that he made in comparison to those West Ham and Newcastle games. But I just think I just don't know if it's enough. And that that question has been levelled about Soko, I think, a few times in the last couple of years. He is very tactically aware. Sissoko mm. and I think that's why managers like him so much um, he, he's not doing it as much with now we've got Hoybjerg dropping in when the full backs push on um, it used to be Trippier would go forward Sissoko would drop into the right back position um, and he would just do that without second thought he would just he would always be there um, so he doesn't need to do it as much now because we kind of play with a back three and both of our full backs uh, push on but he does provide like quite a lot of solidity against like defensive tran- when uh, defensive transitions um so i i kind of agree that he's he's not elite he's not you're not you're probably not going to win a title with with musa sissoko in your team um but he you can see why managers like him mm. yeah he slowed down a lot of attacks i think yesterday it got there were a couple of frustrating moments where the ball was in his feet and he just didn't really know what to do with it mm. I think that was I think that was it when we when we have possession when we have possession in the in the amount that we, that we were having it's more just a question I I, under, I totally understand his worth in the team and I understand what he does I just wonder if we'd be better served um playing a different player but at the same time as he said you know this is the this is the <laughs> we're going back to the old blanket um metaphor and our our toes are cold I don't, I don't, I've got a really sort of crap version of this metaphor that I think that it came up last week when we were speaking about Harry Winks. But I think your your midfield needs to basically add up to six. Every one of your three midfield players needs to do two things really well. And I think Pochettino used to speak about this quite a lot. But you, you need to have, if, if you're a defensive midfielder, you also need to be someone who's a very good passer. 
or if you're someone who's going to do the transition piece, you also need to be someone that can finish or get into really threatened positions and have a good output in in the final third. And I just think with the way in which our midfield is set up at the moment, we're probably running at a four or a five out of six, which means that we'll never truly be able to dominate games, which is part of the reason why we're playing in the style that we are and allowing sort of teams to come onto us and hoping to hit them on the counter. And I think Sissoko is sort of case in point, isn't he? He's someone that is very, very tactically astute, like you said, Ali, and he's someone who's got a great engine. And he does a very good, got a, a very good job of childminding and almost like taking care of other people's positions that, that particularly when Ori and Trippier were at right back, he used to literally hold their hand for the entire game. Mm. But at the moment, now that you've got Doherty in there, you're almost expecting just a little bit more. And I think Sissoko is someone that you'll find his marauding forward and you think, yes, 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 yes. And then you realise that he's getting to the position where he needs to make the pass or have the <laughs> shot. And then you start thinking, no, 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 uh, no, no. Um, but it doesn't, stop, it doesn't stop him being a very effective system player. Yeah. It's just difficult at the moment that in games like that, you're looking for the... West Brom played with a five and they played with a three. And annoyingly, I felt that they actually won the physical battle in midfield. I think they made it really ugly and grim and managed to get the better of us from that point of view. If we were playing with perhaps a more complete midfield, you think we would have just wrestled that game off them and just worn them down. But um, yeah. he, he is certainly... A, he's a weird one, Soko, because somehow... Whichever manager he plays for, he seems to earn their trust. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I was shocked to find out in the documentary that he's also a big voice in the change room. I think so was Jose Mourinho by the looks of his face when Sacramento told him um, they, how integral he is. But, uh, but yeah, no, you're right. He look, he always finds his way into a squad because those players are incredibly useful and and they're incredibly versatile as well. Um, so yeah, I do understand it. It's just a, a question to ponder. Yeah, I, I will forever remember um, the moment away at Liverpool, one all, um, <laughs> where <laughs> two on one, Van Dijk was defending, and there was a great video that went viral, um, and it was of a guy uh, who was recording the game. I don't know why I was recording the game at such a key part, but mm. he's going. Oh my God, Sissoko, Sissoko, please, <laughs> Sissoko, shoot! And then you just hear him go, no! <laughs> and it, it was just Sissoko's time at Tottenham in a nutshell. He did everything right until mm. he got to the to the final bit. But mm. I mean, look, at the moment, so long as we're still winning games, no qualms. Absolutely. Um, right, let's just quickly talk about what we've gone to next because it's a hell of a run of games that we've got, isn't it? Mm. How's everyone feeling? Well, firstly, I'm, I'm assuming that everyone's just in the camp of just please wrap everyone in cotton wool and let's get this bloody international break over with no injuries. Yeah, this inter. I mean, like, I, I can't hold back my feelings to the, towards this international break. I think it's insane uh, that it's going ahead, mainly because of the global pandemic uh, and the lockdown. The fact teams like Denmark can't even take their players from from. Our, our country to go and play in national if they want a two week break give them a two week break if they if they want to go and take the international teams and go and sit with the managers so the managers get two weeks with them I still think that's that's fine but I just think the the idea of going around the world and playing several other teams just seems bizarre um, and I did like that Mourinho had uh, ice straight on Bale's ankle after he came off yesterday, like, oh, you need you need ice on that ankle, don't you, mate? You're in great pain, so we're gonna have to pull him from the world squad. Um, but you know, the disdain that Mourinho shows shows towards the international break, I I share at the moment. You probably think if if Spurs were two or three goals up, he, we Tottenham weren't in a position to take anyone off, but there might have been a bit more of a bit more of that, mightn't there? Mm. A few games to get people out of international. <laughs> Okay, finally to finish up, tell me, Dan, that we should be going into these next four or five games full of optimism and hope, and we're going to come through them with 15 points. Yeah, I, th I think there's reasons to be optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to commit to 15 points. But even last season, when the squad was way weaker and progress was far less under Mourinho, these are the games he did quite well in, I think. And... Uh, yeah, now he's 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 got a way stronger group. You know, form is good, confidence is high. I think everyone's kind of on board with the project. Everyone's kind of up on board with with the type of football, or at least you know ex accepting it for now. So I think 
yeah, there's there's reason to think this could this could be a um, yeah a, a really interesting period for Spurs. And I've said it before on this pod, but this league is just so open. I think anyone can kind of put together a run of sort of. 12, 13 games unbeaten, you know, winning most of them and, and getting points away from home is going to be in a really strong position. And there's kind of the makings of that type of run at the moment. But yeah, th- this is going to be the point where I think we're going to see what you know the defence is made of and, and guys like kind of Sissoko, who we've all questioned, you know, whether they're you know, truly meriting a place in the side. Do you know what? I think we'll... Because it's only the internationals, only the internationals next week. I think we'll save the rest of the fixtures and do a proper breakdown of where we see that next period going. Because we're about to go into silly season as well. Hmm. Um, I, I looked at the fixtures this morning and it's just chaos. And there is also a League Cup quarter final in there as well that we've got to uh, got to worry about. But for now, thank you so much, to Dan, to Hunter, and to Ali. Ali, phenomenal debut. <laughs> Thanks for having Huge me. Huge points. I'll make you my captain next time so I can double up on those. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, make sure you leave us a review if you haven't already. Subscribe as well if you haven't already. And we'll be back next week for some more Oh What A Night, albeit without the joy of grinding out another 1-0. <laughs> oh, When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.